So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. So, so just so I've got this right, yes. what you're saying is, in order that nothing bad appears on Twitter, <laughs> Twitter has suspended the account of the people who stop bad things from appearing on Twitter. Yep. Yes. Okay. okay. Right. Yep. This sounds so smart. I just don't think we're smart <laughs> enough to understand what's really happening here, guys. Smashing Security, Episode 296, Twitter Turmoil, AI Animal Chatters, and Metaverse at Work, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 296. My name's Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And this week, Carol, we are joined by a special guest returning to the show. It's Mark Stockley. Hello, Mark. Hi, I'm back. Yay! Marvellous. We're going to have a quick and crazy show. Mark, anything to report since the last time you've been on? Uh, I've appeared on uh, Twitter wearing a hoodie. Okay, wicked! Before we kick off, let's thank this week's sponsors, Bitwarden, Akamai, and Collide. It's their support that helps us give you this show for free. Coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you got? I'm going to be talking about how Twitter's gone down the shitter, and maybe the rest of the world as well. <laughs> what about you, Mark? Well, uh, you might want to sit down for this. I have found, I think, a useful application for AI. Ooh. Although, although I will say this, like all good things, there's a reasonable chance it'll kill us. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And I will be circling the rim of the virtual world called the metaverse. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. I'm looking forward to this rim circling. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> now, chums, chums, Elon Musk, he's been a bit busy lately, hasn't he? Who's, who's he? Sorry. Uh, just this chap with a couple of rockets and an electric car. Graham, I've actually refused to read anything about this in the last week, so this is all new to me, so fantastic. Well, no, that's good, Carol. That's good. good. Put your head in the sand. Why not? Why not just be completely <laughs> ignorant as the world gets I flushed just, down the lavatory? I know that you have a bromance with Elon and that you would talk about it this week. No, 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 no. no. He has, of course, bought Twitter. Um, Under duress. Yeah, well, was it or not? I mean, it's it's hard to tell. He certainly he certainly um, find it hard to keep quiet about it. He, try, he actually normally tries not to draw attention to himself, does he? But um, there, there's been a number of incidents since he bought Twitter for a. I was about to say a gastronomical amount of money, but that would be <laughs> it probably is. It probably is. <laughs> 
depends on how much he has for lunch. Uh, an astronomical amount of money. He's um, reportedly fired uh, several senior staff. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see he's also been forcing his developers to print out their code? Um, some of them have even been... Uh, what, literally? Like, uh, really? Like, literally? Yes. Shift P? Print out pages and pages of their code, which they've been doing, because they said, bring it round to Elon and his team of coders, because they want to go through your code with you and see what you've been working on. Now, there's nothing a programmer likes more <laughs> than wow. having someone else look at the code and go, eh, no, no, I think you could have done that a little bit more optimally, couldn't you? you well, could have, I, whoa, could have... whoa, whoa. What if there's like some security <laughs> flaws in it, though? You know, you wouldn't you want those highlighted so that you... Yeah, famously printing out code <laughs> and having people read it is... Is an excellent way of finding. How many <laughs> letter pages would it be to print out the code for all of Twitter? That was... I don't think it's all of Twitter. I think it's the code they've submitted in the last thirty days or so. So first of all, he wants to see have you actually been doing any work, and him determining the quality of your work. Now, having told people to print it out, uh, they then sent around an edict telling people shred that. Don't don't print. <laughs> if you print <laughs> you it crazy? out, shred it, shred it. <laughs> Because obviously, what's going to happen if you print out your code? It's going to get left lying around. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Because this is this this story makes absolutely no sense at all from the point of view of reviewing code. Okay, I've written code. I've reviewed code. The, the, even if Elon thinks it's a good idea, the people he's brought in will be sat there going, "What? <laughs> he's, he's going to smoke it. That's, that's all this is. He just wants to smoke Twitter. He's just he's going to do a meme. He's just going to be sat there smoking a bifter out of." People's code rolled up. I, I guarantee the greatest it. fuck you to develop. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He'll just throw it into the rest of the dumpster fire that is Twitter at the moment. I suspect it's just it's just fuel, isn't it? That, that sand that Carol's got her head in is looking very attractive. Right I can now. dig you a hole. There's some room. Now it's also alleged he's going to fire maybe seventy five percent, maybe twenty five percent, maybe fifty percent. Who knows uh, of the Twitter oh, stuff? Just depends on how he feels at the time. Yeah, and that I also read a story saying that uh, you know this whole verified tick thing and how they're going to monetize um, Twitter. So um, yep. some of us have ticks to yes. say that we we've been verified. Have you got a tick? I have a tick. He was very proud uh, not of getting a facial his tick. tick. <laughs> yeah, well, no, just but a, no knighthood. No, nothing yet. Still nothing waiting yet. on the knighthood. Um, yeah. So uh, apparently, according to reports, Elon has he's got a team working on this and said make this happen i want to be able to say to people you have to pay 20 dollars per month to have a tick to verify your account i want it to be live within a week and a half and if you don't do it on time you're all fired so that's what he's told his engineers apparently is to, to do that, this that that is uh, a, a recipe for stable and Jeez. secure code if ever i heard one so i'll tell you what will happen in that situation <laughs> they will nail that deadline i and there is no way on earth that product will not get shipped they will spend the next six months fixing all the problems in the product that they shipped but they will ship it on time not to doubt in my mind so so elon uh has been busy um, a number of other things been going on in his account as well. The news media, of course, they're fascinated with the purchase of Twitter by Elon Musk. Um, I don't know if you saw that CNBC interview with two nope. data engineers <laughs> as they came out of the... Uh... Mark, you saw that, did you? Uh, maybe you can describe that to Carole for us. I don't think he's A couple of guys with some brown cardboard boxes uh, uh, claiming to be data engineers working at Twitter had been let go. 
And uh, anyway, the upshot was they weren't engineers. They were just <laughs> trolling people um, with um, amusing names. Yes. Who was it? It was R- R- Raul Ligma. Yeah, L- Ligma, and, Ligma Johnson. And then the I other think. one was called something Johnson. <laughs> yes, that's and right. And nobody got the joke, and then Elon had to explain it the following morning. That's right. It was like Bart Simpson phoning the, the bar. <laughs> I still don't even get it, so okay, whatever. Uh, Next. Do you ever watch The Simpsons? <laughs> yes, but... You know Amanda what? Hug and Kiss. Can I, can I find Amanda Hug and Kiss? <laughs> Mike, Mike Ratch. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone seen Mike Ratch? So you can probably understand at the moment that there might be some slightly disgruntled people at Twitter who work no. there, maybe a little bit concerned about the new boss, may not think he's such a great guy. And there is a concern, apparently, that some disgruntled staff might go slightly rogue. Rogue? Um, because, yes, <laughs> What does that rogue. mean? Define. Uh, my, well, they, they might be sat at their desks with powers on Twitter. They might have certain rights. And they could cause problems if they think Elon is... If they wanted to sabotage it, if they imagine they're going to lose their jobs um, within the next couple of days, they might decide, well, I'm just going to... Do you remember when, um, back in 2017, there was uh, a Twitter employee who suspended Donald Trump's account? Yes. I think oh. I think he suspended it for a grand total of 11 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking it was about 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it was the most beautiful... Beautiful silence on Twitter. It was one. Oh, so it was a wonderful thing. Anyway, so that kind of th- that was done by someone at Twitter who it was actually leaving that day, and they thought, well, as I'm going, why don't I do the world a favour? And so they deleted his account for twelve minutes. Um, now it's possible if someone doesn't like Elon Musk, they might go rogue on Twitter now and may do something mischievous. And this is why Twitter says at the moment. It has locked down a number of its staff from doing things on Twitter, just little things on Twitter, like um, maybe handling uh, all the offensive posts and hate speech, uh, so that they can't <laughs> they can't suspend accounts and uh, so. Deal. So just just so I've got this right, yes. What you're saying is, in order that nothing bad appears on Twitter, <laughs> Twitter has suspended the account of the people. Who stop bad things from appearing on Twitter? Yep. Yes. Okay. okay. Right. Yeah. This sounds so smart. I just don't think we're smart enough to understand what's really happening here, guys. This 4D chess. Yes, exactly. And there, there is a concern about this uh, lack of moderation of the misinformation happening on Twitter because there are these elections coming up. What? Um, very soon in America. Eighth of November. Uh, there's some important elections. Exactly. Yeah. There's some midterms happening. And so there, there is a worry that uh, this match, because there are some very high profile people with verified accounts on Twitter, who have posted misinformation. For instance, there is an account called at Elon Musk. And this chap, (laughs) Elon Musk, posted a link to a conspiracy theory the other day, claiming that, I don't know if you heard, Paul Pelosi, the husband of Nancy Pelosi, his home got, someone broke into his home with a hammer, saying, where's Nancy, where's Nancy? And they attacked Paul Pelosi with this hammer. He's now in hospital getting some cranial surgery or something. Yeah. Elon Musk, the owner of Twitter, posted a link to a story claiming that it was a domestic fracas. He claimed that this, in fact, was a gay prostitute who was having a relationship with Paul Pelosi. Oh, my gosh. Right. Now, that's the kind of conspiracy nutty theory that normally Twitter would shut down and prevent from being amplified. 
but unfortunately, is rosy. Yep. it was posted by the owner of Twitter, and all these Twitter safety and integrity people have been told <laughs> they're locked out. They can't do shit. <laughs> You're locked out, and so oh, and people now are retweeting the head of safety and integrity, Yoel Roth, at Twitter because back in May he said, "You know, whenever there's harmful, misleading claims, let me know. <laughs> we're going to post up a warning message. We're going to hide them properly." And people are saying. Well, are you going to do this to Elon Musk? And, of course, Yoel Roth doesn't want to lose his job. Meanwhile, this conspiracy theory and much more stuff. Apparently, there's been this huge surge in offensive slurs, derogatory terms, really nasty stuff happening on Twitter since Elon took over because people are testing the system. So there's been this, in Twitter's own words, there's been this ton of tweets which have come out posting all of these messages, 50,000 tweets, they said, we're just using one particular word, which we don't like, on Twitter, which has happened since. So everything's great. <laughs> wow. Everything's gone really, really well. That tweet has now been taken down. Yes, Elon has deleted the tweet, yes. But, but the question is, was it him? I imagine it was like a scene from the thick of it inside Twitter, <laughs> trying to work out what, what is the moderation procedure for moderating the guy that pays the monthly checks. Well, what Elon Musk actually did was there was a news report from New York Times saying that Elon Musk had tweeted a link to this conspiracy website. Elon Musk took a screenshot of that New York Times story and said, this is not true. I haven't linked to the New York Times. Oh, like, so, ha, 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 ha. Yes, yes. I know. It's like we a have child. an eight-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I work with one every week on a podcast. I'm not talking about Maria. I understand. <laughs> so, you know, you do have an option, Graham. And all of yeah. you other people out there have an option. Get off Twitter. Don't get off on Twitter, but get off it. <laughs> I'm also on Mastodon. Uh, mm -hmm. rather unfortunately, you know, um, <laughs> Uh, Twitter-like uh, site, which is sort of it's somewhere where there aren't ads and it's all sort of lovely. Thank God. I don't know what we could do without a daily message from you online. Well, it's being bombarded with new messages because some people are certainly leaving Twitter. Good. Or at least creating accounts elsewhere. And I think Twitter needs to be careful because do you remember Dig? Mm -hmm. Do you remember when oh, Dig yeah. redesigned itself yeah, like yeah, yeah. 10, 12 years ago? And in the space of about a couple of weeks... Everyone left Dig and went to Reddit. Mm -hmm. And Dig, which had been this company worth hundreds of millions of dollars, suddenly was worth nothing. Down the poo-poo hole. I don't know. I don't know if that will happen to Twitter. Maybe that's going a bit far, but it may take less than people think for people to think, you know what? I just don't like this. It, it took you so much time to build all those followers, Graham. This is probably well, devastating yes. for you. I, I would like everyone to follow me on Mastodon just in case. <laughs> oh, my oh God. <laughs> Links in the show notes. I'm going I'm to pin my colours to the mast here and say no one is leaving Twitter. Oh, I, I don't know. I think... Uh, uh, I, I think don't say so. This is just... This, look, if, you remember Cambridge Analytica? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And all those people hashtag delete Facebook. It's happening now, though. So it's got Facebook's got two and a half billion users. It didn't even notice. Mm. If, if we can survive Cambridge Analytica, then no one's going to leave Twitter. You heard it here first. By one of our <laughs> guests, not the, one of the hosts. <laughs> <laughs> Plausible deniability. 
Mark, what story have you got for us this week? Well, as I, I said at the uh, at the intro, I think I might have found a useful application of artificial intelligence. Oh, marvellous. Okay, I'm interested. But see what you think. You may, you may agree. So when I was growing up, it seemed like there were lots of documentaries on TV or things on the TV news about humans trying to understand animals. And the way that we did it, it always seemed to be the same. So whether it was chimps or dolphins, we were always trying to teach them English or sign language yeah, yeah. Or, or to communicate through some deck of symbols. So I remember vaguely uh, somebody tried to teach a gorilla, you know, there was a big deck of yeah. buttons it, it could press and it could say, I, I want a banana and it could press the banana button. And I think there was another one for dolphins that was obviously it was in the water. Was, was that the problem? Was that the problem that we're trying to teach them English? And in fact, that all animals are Belgian, something like that. <laughs> Yeah, if only we tried that. <laughs> Getting warmer. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but, but you're sort of, you're onto something, because one way or another, the way it looked to me, it was always us asking them to learn a new language of some kind, whether ah. it's symbols on a board or English. And it, this, this struck me as very odd, because the conceit was that we are terribly clever. Humans terribly clever, <laughs> yes. very different from all the other animals, far cleverer from those stupid animals. Uh, and, you know, Somehow we use their inability to learn English and sign language or yeah. whatever test we set them as proof of our own brilliance. Yeah, it's like Stephen Hawking teaching grade five math, you know. <laughs> so we should have got them yes. to teach us Belgian, is what you're saying. And then we've been able Graham, to communicate. You're doing so good. You're on top of this. Carry on, Mark. You're doing great. I don't even know if Belgian is a language. I, I presume it isn't, actually. I've, I've made blunder there. Yeah, Flemish. But yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Bit of phlegm. Bit, bit of French as well, I think. So I, I remember seeing these as a child and thinking, hang on, if, if we're the clever ones, shouldn't we take on the burden of learning their language? Yes. Rather than telling them to learn ours. Well, anyway, as it turns out, there was a whole bunch of other people that had the same thought and they had a, a far more productive reaction than I did. <laughs> Barstool <episode>. profit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, those people went off and actually had careers trying to find out what animals are saying to each other, unlike me. And what they learned and told us is that they are saying an enormous amount to each other. So I'm going to give you some examples. So for instance, All right. we now know that elephants communicate over vast distances using infrasound, and which humans can't hear. So for years oh. and years and years, we just assumed that elephants... Made trunk calls. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you've been waiting 280 episodes. To make that joke. It was just, it was just there. Anyway, mm -hmm. yeah, elephants make trunk calls, but the, the the sound is too low for us to hear. And elephants have got words for honeybees and humans, and they can communicate the difference between threatening humans and non-threatening humans, which is very useful. Mm. Uh, you probably know that honeybees communicate all kinds of information about suitable nesting sites and flowers and nectar and things like that using interpretive dance. Yes. Have you seen the waggle dance? <laughs> waggle I've, seen, dance. I've, I've, I've done it, mate. Done it. <laughs> <laughs> How's that? How does that go? Yeah, did, Is there video did you get an injury? <laughs> did you get an injury? <laughs> so I, I learned today that sperm whales have got regional accents. Did you know that? Oh, yeah, they're all from Lancashire, aren't they? Sperm whales, no, isn't that what Well, you they mean? have different regional accents, so <laughs> oh, some of them okay. are from Lancashire. Oh, oh I see. Oh, right. Okay. I, I also found out that coral reefs can sing, and microscopic coral larvae, which have got no central nervous system and no apparent ability to hear, will swim towards the sound of a healthy coral reef singing. Oh, that's lovely. 
uh, I've discovered that birds have a kind of thing. They operate this kind of collective early warning system. So what they do is one of them sees a predator and they will communicate how dangerous the predator is. And then the other birds around it will repeat that. And you get this ripple warning that goes out through the community of birds. Mm -hmm. And this signal travels at about 100 miles an hour, which means that far away, birds can get minutes of advanced warning about a predator. Fly for your life! <laughs> you, think, you think there's a bird there is like, there's nothing can be done. <laughs> I shall just stay on this. Existentialist bird. And, and await my fate. <laughs> anyway, this system of early warning is so useful that it isn't just the birds that listen to it. There are other animals that will listen into the birds as well, and they have learned to interpret what those warnings mean. And as I've mentioned before on this podcast, I think even trees have a form of information exchange. Mm -hmm. And the yes. trees in a forest will use the underground network of fungal mycelium as a sort of arboreal internet. Mm. <laughs> However, it's one thing to witness this communication between two animals or two species. It's quite another to work out exactly what they're trying to say to each other. Mm -hmm. oh. And that is where I have finally discovered that rarest of gems a worthwhile application for artificial intelligence. <laughs> and I learned about this from Vox, which has just published an interview with Dr. Karen Batka, who's written a book called The Sounds of Life, How Digital Technology is Bringing Us Closer to the Worlds of Animals and Plants. Hang on, hang on. Why is she putting herself forward for this interview? Why hasn't she put a pot plant <laughs> forward or some sort of animal? Hot plant. If, if her AI is so some impressive. Moss. <laughs> Herbert the spider is going to take over from me right now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I'm a bit busy. So here's my chihuahua. You know. Had you considered a career as the sole director of Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, you get all the animals on Twitter after this AI. Carry on with your story. Could they get on Twitter? That's my question. That's a brilliant idea. Hold that thought. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, anyway, so Vox has just published the interview with uh, Dr. Karen Backer, who's written a book. Uh, Vox writes. Automated listening posts have been set up in ecosystems around the planet, from rainforests to the depths of the ocean, and all of this recording creates a great deal of data which can't be sorted manually. Enter AI, <laughs> which of course can sift through mountains of data and find patterns, and even perhaps make dictionaries oh. from different animal species words. Right. And one day she conjectures that all of this sifting and sorting of animal communication could lead to a sort of Google Translate for animal languages ah, you and see? act as an intermediary between us and other animal species. So we might be able to use AI to create two-way communications between us and the animal kingdom. I'm loving that for England and the pheasants, right? Um, <laughs> during, during hunting season. <laughs> these these birds that are kept in cages without their mothers and then released into the wild with absolutely no information so that rich people can go hunt them easily. I wonder what they're saying to the people. I, th I think what they're saying is, fuck, we stop shooting yeah, you. Yeah, I think I think exactly. I was thinking, fuck off, will you? Yeah. Jeez. Fascinating. We needed AI to tell us that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God for AI. Wonderful. So, fascinatingly. The earliest stages of interspecies communication have already begun. Excellent. So in the interview, uh, Dr. Backer tells Vox about uh, rudimentary communications with honeybees, dolphins, and elephants. And all of that sounds rather wonderful to me uh, until you realize that humans are involved. And of course, no sooner does she say that 
we have started to communicate with these things, then she offers a great big warning that we might screw it all up and turn it into a weapon and crash an ecosystem. So I'll give you an example. This is the example that she gave to Box. She says, I'll give you an example. A research team in Germany encoded honeybee signals into a robot that they then sent into a hive. Ah. Oh. <laughs> You're t- oh, I hate humans sometimes. <laughs> the, 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 the robot was able to use the honeybee's waggle dance communication to tell the honeybees to stop moving, and it's able to tell them where to fly to find a specific nectar source. The next stage in this research is to implant these robots into honeybee hives so that the hives accept these robots as members of their community from birth. And then we would have an unprecedented degree of control over the hive. We'll have essentially domesticated that hive in a way that we've never done before, and this creates possibilities of exploitative use of animals. And there's a long history of the military use of animals, so that's one part, one path. I think raises a lot of alarm bells. You well, don't say. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. When you said that there's a danger of us exploiting animals through this technology, I thought maybe we'd give them phone calls saying, have you been missold PPI or had a recent car accident? <laughs> Hi, this is your Auntie Marsha, and I need some money. <laughs> I need some honey deliveries. Yeah. So she talks about military use of animals and, you know, you probably know about dogs in the military. Maybe you know about dolphins in the military? You yeah. work military yes. dolphins? Yes. yes. And pigeons and doves and everything. Everything they get They're their hands very on, militant dogs. dolphins, aren't they? They're the ones who wear the berets. <laughs> well, apparently, apparently, as I was doing some research this morning, uh, there were, there were rumours in the 70s and the 80s that the, that the dolphins were being trained to kill divers. Uh, and the person who is responsible for this program says, basically, you can't teach dolphins to kill people. And and him saying that implies that they've tried, <laughs> doesn't it? Like, turns out they won't do that. Anyway, I think I think that there is another equally equally world altering possibility here, and you kind mm-hmm. of hinted at it with the pheasants. Mm-hmm. Ah. Okay, so one of the projects that Backer is talking about, I think, is SETI, which is spelled C E T I, which is obviously supposed to make you think of SETI, which is S. If you heard of SETI, the, the search for SETI, extraterrestrial SETI intelligence, yes, yeah, yes. Okay, so th- th- there's that, and then there's SETI with a C, which is the Setian Translation Initiative, okay, which is using machine learning and what it calls gentle robotics, <laughs> because it's 2022, <laughs> and if you don't say your robots are gentle, we get afraid. You just assume that they're, they're just Boston Dynamics dogs with guns on. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> they're using gentle robotics and machine learning to decipher the communication of sperm whales. And I remember hearing about this a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, when I first heard that, I thought the idea of finding out what whales have got to say to each other sounded fantastic. And then I realised that we are probably quite a hot topic mm. among the whales, um, particularly the sperm whales. And we might not actually want to hear what they've got to say. Oh, my God. I want to start the gossip rag. I want to start the gossip rag. <laughs> <laughs> And then another sperm whale said, you wouldn't believe what humans did yesterday. Well, I imagine we could have one on Sticky Pickles. Yes. That would be great. We'll have a whole other vista of possible guests. Fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, I imagine the first thing that the sperm whales would say, if, if they could talk to us, would be, could you turn the noise down, please? Yeah. No. Because, you know, they've, they've yeah. been around for a few tens of millions of years, and they, yeah. they were able to communicate over huge distances, and then boats with engines turned up. Yeah. And suddenly they couldn't, and then boats with sonar turned up, and then they all got headaches and died. 
Anyway, it's, it's also worth bearing in mind that sperm whales can live for 70 years. And that means that there are probably sperm whales who are still alive now, who are alive during the, the age of industrial whaling. Yeah. Which only came to a close in 1980. So I think if they're about, they might have something to say. Yes. <laughs> anyway, That'd what do very... you think? So you've, 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 you've <laughs> said, you said you, you want to know what the pheasants have got to say. <laughs> what other animals are you dying to hear from? Oh, Giraffes. Like, do they get sore necks? I bet gerbils have got some interesting stories to share. <laughs> oh, let's end there, please. Crow, what have you got for us this week? All right, we are heading once again into the metaverse. Get your tinfoil hats. So now the metaverse, we all pretend to understand, is a VR-based world independent of our physical one, where people can socialize, engage in, like, unlimited variety of virtual experiences, so they say. All supported by its own digital economy as well. And listeners might remember that a year ago when Facebook rebranded to Meta, it soon opened access to its virtual uh, reality social media platform, Horizon Worlds, which is still today its biggest platform in this area. And there were teething problems. Do you remember we spoke about in one of our episodes where people were sounding the alarm of digital sexual harassment on the platform? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then pe and people egging them on. It was really... Unfortunate use of the word digital there, I suspect. is. Yeah. Glancing past. Um, mm. So now here we are a year later, and Meta has recently had its Meta Connect event, where many a tech journal were hoping to get an answer to a pretty simple question. Why? What's the point? Right? What? Of what, the metaverse. What's the point of the metaverse? Yes. Can you answer that? Are they suggesting the emperor has no clothes? <laughs> it's a wonderful, legs, wonderful... Legs, The emperor's oh, got yeah. no legs. The emperor's got no... Just floats there. It's, they're coming, they're coming. The legs are coming. Because um, it's not like there's a massive demand for this kind of world from the consumer market. I mean, of course, it's maybe fun to play around, but it's not TikTok. Aren't there like 38 regular users or something? <laughs> it's, well, the Zuckinator came out at... Uh, MetaConnect and said, the answer, guys, to what's the point is work, he said. And at first, you're th you might think that workers are clamoring for this virtual environment, you know, where they can interact. But that's not what I'm seeing or hearing. No, no, I'm not. I'm not imagining that, Carol. No. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> I was talking to our listeners, Graham, actually. Um, oh, okay. But they probably weren't thinking it either. But you see, at MetaConnect... Zucks announced that Meta is working with tech business leader Microsoft to make available virtual sessions of business software such as Office and Teams. <laughs> and these will be incorporated into the Horizon Workroom virtual office platform, which kind of has been widely ridiculed for its low-quality graphics and floating legless avatars. <laughs> <laughs> So does this partnership with Meta and Microsoft make sense to you guys? What do you see there? It's genius. You think? Really? Or yeah, no? it's brilliant. I, th I think both of them should put all of their resources into this <laughs> rather than anything else. Great, great. Yeah. Great for all the other tech companies, I imagine. Very good. What, what you have to understand about Microsoft is that Microsoft has two decent products, okay, Office and that mouse that it makes. <laughs> and what it's done is because everybody uses Windows, and it does all this bundled licensing. It has foisted all sorts of software that people absolutely hate into businesses. 
very successfully over a long period of time. Yes. So Internet Information Server, absolutely terrible, terrible web server full of security holes when it came out, very widely used. Uh, Microsoft Teams, nobody likes Microsoft Teams. It's way more widely used than Zoom because it just gets bundled in. Microsoft yeah. SharePoint, possibly the worst piece of software ever invented anywhere by anyone. It's it's all through the the corporate world because it just you just get it free once you've paid the sky high license fees for everything you want. You just get it, and that's what that's what will happen with this. And thanks to our sponsors this week, Microsoft, <laughs> for, for <laughs> supporting the show. Mark, you're exactly right, right? Because think about how Microsoft became a household name by cracking the enterprise market first. And Meta needs to gain some credibility in the enterprise market if it's going to sell its work theory. So why not partner with, you know, Microsoft, who has a history of building trusted business software? Shit, shit software. Well, yes, but, but successful. Think of the typical cynical IT person, right? If, if, if now picture them wearing a headset yes imagine them saying oh this sounds like a good idea yes we'd love to have the workers in headset they're not going to go for this are they an article by smart company on the topic graham yeah said by focusing on the enterprise market firms can normalize this technology in society. And this might not be something that consumers want to use, to Mark's point, but rather that workers are forced to use, like, because you may not like Microsoft products, but you're forced to use it in your business environment, and it somehow trickles down into your home. Won't, won't this just normalize leaving a job because they make me wear a stupid <laughs> headset? It's a bit like wearing Google glasses and going to a sensible company, which just gets on with work. Why would a company want you to do that, you think? Why would they want everything to be virtual? Would it not be because then they can actually record every single behavior you've ever done in your life? Ah, the right? security angle. The security angle. The, the privacy and security angle. This is, it's, it's, it's appeared. <laughs> so, Half an hour into your story. Wonderful. Actually, eight, eight minutes. Eight minutes. But uh, thanks. So the bossware angle, that's a big privacy concern. And this typically refers to software that's installed across enterprises to monitor employees. And this approach, if we push everyone into the metaverse, it does have a bit of a whiff of the Orwellian, doesn't it? But not everyone is surprised, right? For example, there's journalist Janice Rose, who in The Intercept in 2016, after watching uh, Mark Zuckerberg's first stage flirtation with the VR headset, said, this could only mean one thing. Zuckerberg wants to build a virtual environment where all human behavior can be recorded, predicted, and monetized. You don't think it's just because Mark Zuckerberg is so socially awkward that he was being promoting <laughs> the metaverse so much, because he knows that people find him really, really weird. So if he makes everybody else just as weird by putting them into the metaverse, he begins to look a little bit more normal. Another um, concern here, Graham, is like almost, I don't know if it sounds lofty, but like mind control through like nudge behavior. So for example, you may have to use this at work, but you'll turn on a lot of safety features. And then others might kind of say, hey, you should turn those off. You know, it's not seen as cool. You don't seem as part of the team. And it could have negative impacts on marginalized workers. So behavior nudging based on a gazillion data sets with Zuck as our unesteemed leader at the helm. 
pulling all the levers like the Wizard of Oz master. But I'm being cynical. No, I don't, I don't think you are, because I, I remember going to a tech conference in 2007, <laughs> which is when Second Life yep. was failing to take off. Well, it was sort, sort of taking off and then sputtering and then, and then sort of gently landing in the swamp at the end of the runway. <laughs> the, the people who were talking about it at this tech conference were talking about the fact that you could see which billboards people were looking at online <laughs> and you know, where yeah. their eyes were, where their virtual eyes were looking and how long they lingered on something. Web analytics can tell where your uh, cursor is and mm. where that's hovering, but it can't track your eyes. It can't tell you where your attention is. It can only approximate that. Mm -hmm. Whereas the virtual... So this has been an, out, an overt selling point for these sorts of virtual environments. But the thing is, that is a, that's a reason why the people who make it want it to happen. And what yeah. I don't see with the metaverse, I see lots and lots of things with the metaverse that the people who make it want to happen. And I haven't seen anything at all. <laughs> Looks like a thing that users are genuinely, like, that solves a problem. I don't know. I've seen one. Like, you know, if it's people who do concerts could have concerts where anyone in the world can attend them live. It, well, in this digital live world. See, I can watch them on YouTube and I, I just don't. Yeah. I, I, I'd rather watch them in their full 4K glory than than some sort of weird blobby wax approximation of them. But, but you know, if you're worried about any security element in this, um, don't worry, because Metatechnical Chief Andrew Bosworth says he's adamant that they can be trusted to forge this new generation of the internet. <laughs> oh, me, he has a excellent. quote. Frankly, he says, frankly... <laughs> There's no one who's investing more in privacy and data security. Nobody is more focused on this problem than Meta. We are keeping the data that we have taken from you very secure. <laughs> Fusies! <laughs> i tell you that the most convincing explanation that I have seen so far for what all this metaverse stuff is really about is the idea of the, the billionaire's curse which is that, you know, you make all the money in the world. You've got more money than God. And then one day you wake up and you realize that you're going to die just like everybody else. And when you get into that sort of fraction of a trillionaire kind of <laughs> rarefied air, suddenly they get gripped by the need to go and populate other planets and <laughs> do things like that. And I think that the metaverse, this is not my original thought. I have glommed onto someone else's, but I think... The metaverse is Zuck's retirement plan. So when he dies, he's going to upload his consciousness to a fully immersive, fully realistic reality. And the only way he can get there and fund that is if he comes up with something that businesses will buy that looks like a bunch of legless waxworks now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, have fun, guys. New VR headset only available for fifteen to $2,000. So, you know, cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Have fun. Every day, billions of people around the world connect with their favourite brands online through shopping, gaming, banking, learning and more. Every second, the internet gets more chaotic, more cyber threats. Securing entire ecosystems, clouds, apps, APIs and users, that grows more complex, causing friction that slows innovation and hampers agility. With Akamai, cybersecurity can become an engine for innovation and growth. Whether you want to achieve unmatched security with Akamai's suite of app and API protection or embrace a zero-trust architecture, Akamai can help. 
With insights from the world's most distributed compute platform, Akamai delivers unique security research on the latest attacks and trends on everything from ransomware as a service, gangs like Conti, DDoS attacks, phishing attacks, to help you protect your business. Where else can you take advantage of insights from 7 trillion DNS queries per day? Learn more about Akamai and their security research. Visit their website, akamai.com slash smashing. That's A-K-A-M-A-I dot com slash smashing. Smashing security listeners, did you know that Bitwarden is the only open source cross-platform password manager that can be used at home, on the go, or at work? Bitwarden's password manager securely stores credentials spanning across personal and business worlds. And every Bitwarden account begins with the creation of a personal vault, which allows you to store all your personal credentials. These are unique and secure passwords for every single account you access. And it's easy to set up. It's easy to use. I honestly love Bitwarden. I use it at home, use it at work, use it on the go. Get started with a free trial of a Teams or Enterprise plan at bitwarden.com forward slash smashing. Or you can even try it for free across devices as an individual user. Check it out at bitwarden.com forward slash smashing. And thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring the show. The challenge with endpoint security has always been that it's difficult to scale, and when remote work took over, that challenge got exponentially harder. You need visibility into your fleet of devices in order to meet security goals and reduce service desk tickets. But how do you get that visibility when different parts of your company run on Mac, Windows, and Linux? Well, you get Collide. Collide is an endpoint security solution that gives IT teams a single dashboard for all devices, regardless of operating system. Collide gives you real-time access to your fleet's data and can do things that traditional MDMs can't. And instead of installing intrusive agents or locking down devices, Collide takes a user-focused approach that communicates security recommendations to your workers directly on Slack. You can answer every question you have about your fleet without intruding on your workforce. Visit collide.com slash smashing to find out how. If you follow that link, they'll hook you up with a goodie bag just for activating a free trial. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash smashing. And thanks to Collide for sporting the show. And welcome back. Can you join us at our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. Doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. Better not be. Well, my Pick of the Week this week... Is it security-related? I'll tell you. Any, <laughs> anyway, right. Um, I've been, uh, you know, going around on the internet for a little while. And in the last few weeks, I've been a little bit irritated because I go to a website... And suddenly in the top right hand corner pops up a message saying, Oh, sign in to Google or, you know, you, you can, you can register for this site with your Google account. Why don't you? Do, it's like, what? Bugger off. Bugger off. This pop up appears all the time in the top right hand corner. Why, why is it doing this all the time? And all these websites are suddenly saying to me, Oh, you can log in with that. You can log in with Google. I don't want it to, right? I've got a. So, so, so you press the X and then carry on with your day. Yes. But, yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. 
until okay. I go. <laughs> and that's my pick of the week. Is pressing the X. I'm going to Mastodon. <laughs> and and oh, I've been a little bit annoyed about this. And because I don't want to sign in with Google, I've got a password manager that I trust to look after all my password security. All the passwords are different. I don't want to sign in with my social login malarkey. And it's always every website I'm going to flip off. And so I'm going to tell everyone how to turn off the sign in with Google prompt. I found it on the web, how to do it. I've done it myself. And now I'm very, very happy. So I'll put a link in the show notes, but I will tell you all, because I'm sure you're all just as upset as I am about this. Outraged. Go to myaccount.google.com, navigate to security, click on signing in with Google, and you will find a toggle, a toggle next to Google account signing prompts which they have helpfully turned on without asking you and just turn it off. I must have turned mine off ages ago because I don't have that ever. Hmm. <sighs> well, maybe you're just better than me, Carol, But I doubt that very much, Graham. <laughs> very much. Alternatively, just click on the X in the top round, right-hand corner and then it disappears. Just be cool. Yeah. It's be- oh, okay. Good for, you. <laughs> Good for you. That's my pick of the week. Fair enough. Mark, what's your pick of the week? My pick of the week is a Twitter account, the Twitter account belonging to Julia Davis, which you can find at Julia Davis News. So Julia Davis is a columnist for the Daily Beast, and she has created what she calls the Russian Media Monitor. And this has become must-watch morning entertainment for me. Oh. So when I, when I get up in the morning, I go and have my cornflakes, I get my phone out, and I go and see what Julia Davis has tweeted in the night. Because what she's doing is she is watching Russian state TV <laughs> so that the rest of us don't have to. And it is oh. fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So I have been... So obviously Russia has invaded Ukraine mm. and is committing all kinds of horrific genocidal war crimes. It's It's clearly a very very serious thing and i don't wish to make light of that but i do think that gallows humor is inevitable in a situation like this and i also think it's worthwhile keeping an eye on your adversary and russian state tv is something to behold it's like they've looked at fox news and they've gone it's a little bit namby namby yeah. it's a little bit wishy-washy and it's it's where they test out uh, talking points and you can see you can chart the course of the conflict in the way that they're talking on these uh tv like there's a there's a, a panel show where they have a, a ring of very very unhealthy looking <laughs> gentlemen generally <laughs> all trying to outdo each other for like which bits of ukraine they should nuke and whether or not they should invade brussels and whether or not they should invade washington um and it, it is, it's quite fascinating to watch and it, and it can actually be quite useful as well. So you remember not very long ago, they announced this partial mm. mobilization. Yes. Well, just prior to that, the tone on this TV program suddenly changed mm. and they went from, from bombast and talking about the fact that they were winning, even though they were, uh, had been in retreat for several months, they suddenly started talking about how good their enemy was and how sophisticated the weapons their enemy had got. Huh. Um, and it just overnight, it suddenly changed. And the reaction of the people following this account was, ah, a mobilization is coming. Because they're, they're trying to 
changed public opinion. And it was only a few days in advance, but that happens quite a lot. So it's like predicting actions based on uh, indirect messaging through propagandist tactics. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. What What do we want the population to understand about this conflict now, even if it's direct opposite of what we said yesterday? But the really interesting thing about this is which bits of American media they like. And they really like Tucker Carlson. So they, 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 they <laughs> don't we all, don't we all play, He's a great guy. often play clips from his show. Uh, and just today, uh, the clip that was tweeted today, they were talking about how Trump had given them four years to prepare for the invasion of Ukraine in the way that in, he changed the way that the US dealt with Russia. So effectively, it was able to recover from previous regimes of sanctions and it had four years to, to ready itself. And that was quite interesting too. I'm seeing one of our recent posts right now where she says Russian state TV is telling viewers it's better to die than lose the war to the wicked West. And it claims that if they lose, Russians will be on display in Western zoos alongside the animals. So there's some pretty crazy stuff going on out there. <laughs> that, that's pretty standard. Right. Okay. But what's interesting, what's interesting there is that they are now talking about it being a war. Yes, and not a special because they weren't allowed to say no. war for a mm-hmm. very long time. That's right. That's and right. they've 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 reframed the whole thing. Like you would you would never if you watched it you would never believe that they invaded Ukraine. Mm-hmm. It's all framed as a war with the West, and it's a war with NATO. And now it's all about what will happen if they lose. It's not about and or you know winning means getting an inch of territory. If we've got an inch of territory, then we've won. This is all very well, Mark, but is this more important than the pop-up I'm seeing from Google uh, appearing in the corner of my screen? (laughs) Well, if you just click the X. (laughs) Carole, what's your pick of the week? Well, my pick of the week is about where I was this past weekend, because I was in Vienna for a friend's birthday shindig. And on Saturday, we went to the opera at the the Weiner, I'm going to try and say this, the Weiner Staatsoper. It's one of the leading opera houses in the world. And I know absolutely nothing about opera world, uh, but I can say my mind was pretty blown Mm. in more ways than one. I tell you that I went to see La Triviata, a 19th century melodrama in three acts by Verdi, this big fancy opera house. What do you imagine? Oh, costumes, very, very large lady. Mm -hmm. Lots of people on the stage. Mm -hmm. Uh, An orchestra. Mm-hmm. Well, imagine you're dressed up to the nines. Not everybody was. Some people were, and some people were okay. like, almost wearing jeans. Yeah, okay. I read the rules, and it says, please do not come in flip-flops or okay. <laughs> have suitable... <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> but let me just read this. This is the best way to, to right. explain it. Yeah. So, Violetta is not only a prostitute in this, in mm-hmm. this show. She's also an influencer with millions of followers on Instagram <laughs> and Twitter. She what? has her own perfume line and is a huge celebrity. Oh. Um, okay, so this is Robert Cousins staged an enormous revolving cube corner with three sides adjacent sides of a cube. So it's like, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but imagine a cube on stage that spins, it mm. revolves. And it's... Is it meant to be a phone? No, it's kind of like they just keep spinning it and then there's different scenes happening. It was quite oh, cool. Yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. made of screens. Yeah, it's, it's quite cool. So during the prelude, these screens show us uh, Violetta's social media feed, her Instagram selfies, comments from her followers, but also emails from doctors advising therapy for her cancer. So they replaced consumption uh, with cancer as the illness that kills her. Right. 
In Act 2, okay, this is where my jaw dropped. In Act 2, the party at Flores is a mix between a fancy dress ball and an orgy with explicit images and neon lights in the background and the chorus wearing the weirdest costumes with many with BDSM overtones. So Dr. Grenville has a dildo strapped onto his forehead. What? what? Sideways, <laughs> but not in the front, thank God. <laughs> Alfredo came out as Donald Duck, and there was this other character with a dildo strapped to his the low the, the bottom of his back. So it was super surreal for me to watch all this craziness on stage. And then you know you just look around and you see people in ball gowns and all the glitz and the gold of you know this huge opulent opera house. Did you feel like you were being warmed up for something? Like someone's going to sidle <laughs> over and say, "My wife and I have been watching you from the other side of the bar. And we like your vibe." <laughs> You'd been taken there by someone because it was his birthday. It, it sounds like he knew about this in advance. Okay, but we also had drama off stage. Oh, okay. You have to imagine there's like a thousand people. Okay, lots of them gussied up in this massive opera house. G- gussied and suddenly, some with dildos. <laughs> Donald Duck. And uh, <laughs> the first intermission is almost at the end, so everyone's back in their seats, and we I see a few cops on the ground floor, right? And they're rushing into a room, and they've got this guy, and I'm like, hey, look, 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 look. And other people are noticing. We're all kind of noticing. And then, like, it's at least three cops come out, and they clear out two rows in the bottom, and they go up to this guy who refused to move, and they said, please move, Mr. Erbson. And he refused. Did right? he have flip-flops? So <laughs> he was sitting there. He's quite a big man, right? But his arms crossed and sitting with his arm, you know, right. his legs are straight and just kind of sitting there. And so then more cops came over, and they tried to pick him up, and he refused to move. And then more cops came, and the guy slithered down to the ground and lied like a board on the floor. <laughs> And then it took him eight cops to lift this guy as he was shouting out of the room. Meanwhile, on my floor, the women were like, stop filming! Stop filming! Everyone, stop filming! <laughs> so it was very exciting. Anyway, go to the opera. It's not what you think. <laughs> what, what, what had he done? Well... Very interesting. So the papers all say that he basically was saying, oh, this show is awful. I don't like the show because it is a controversial show. This is well, It Simon does sound Stone. awful. It sounds like <laughs> it a wasn't terrible awful. show. It wasn't awful. It wasn't <laughs> well, awful. Well, not if you like that kind of thing, Carol. Well, I thought it was great. Thank you very much. I see. Um, but I asked, a, I asked a policeman when I was on the streets, right? I saw him and he was, you know, he was just lying. And I was like, hey, did you hear what happened? And he said there was a poll, a match with Austria versus Poland and that this guy kicked off at the match and, you know, did a bit of busting up and then went off to the opera and they found him at the opera. <laughs> Football hooligans so who are knows different. what happened? Different in Austria. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, my pick of the week. <laughs> Is La Triviata. <laughs> Listen to the opera because it's beautiful. And, uh, or you can go see the website. There's lots of history on the opera house as well. That just about wraps up the show for this week. Mark, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you on any social media network which you might be a member of. What's the best, or the metaverse? What's the best way for folks to do that? <laughs> you'll, you'll never find me on the metaverse, but you will find me on Twitter. I'm staying. You'll find me at Mark Stockley. And if there are any sperm whales listening, you can follow us on Twitter <laughs> at Smash Insecurity. No G, Twitter allows to have a G, uh, but maybe Elon Musk will. We'll have to wait and see. That'll keep us. And we also have a Smash Insecurity subreddit. And don't forget, if you never want to miss another episode, follow Smash Insecurity in your favourite podcast app. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. 
And huge shout out once again to our episode sponsors, Collide, Bitwarden, and Akamai, and to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to them all that this show is free. For episode show notes, sponsorship information, guest lists, and the entire back catalogue of more than 295 episodes, check out smashingsecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Yuck. What the, what is that? That's my dolphin noise. I was speaking to the dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> doing 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 something to the dolphins. <laughs> Ha 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 ha